Our sermon text is Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, which you can find on page 333 in the paper Bibles. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. This is the word of the Lord. Every year around this time, we like to take a few weeks to review what we're about, what we're striving for, uh, what kind of church we want to become. And so last week we talked about what it means that we have the gospel as the driving force behind our church. And next week we're going to talk about our neighborhood vision, what it means for us to be a neighborhood church as opposed to some other kind of church. And this week, though, we're going to take some time to look at uh, what I think is an extremely important part of who we are, uh, that we strive to be a prayerfully dependent church, a prayerfully dependent church. Now, this is kind of a tricky subject, preaching about prayer. Um, people outside of the church, when you talk about prayer, they'll tell you either Prayer is totally worthless on one hand, it's a waste of time, or they think of prayer as having some kind of mystical properties to it, you know, like the, the crystals that you could buy at the New Age store. You know, it can't hurt, right? Well, sure, I'd love some prayer. But inside of the church, it's a really different thing. Inside of the church, people think that prayer is essential for the Christian life. They think it's an essential part of their faith. Uh, but it's also something that takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. And so what you end up finding, if, if we were to each stand up and talk about how we feel about our personal prayer life, you end up finding that a lot of people in the church feel guilty about prayer. They feel like they're not good enough at it. Or on the other hand, they think they are good at it, and they feel pretty self-righteous about that. They're very happy to tell you that they're very good at praying. Um, so we have these extremes. There's all these different views about prayer, and I think that means we could all stand a little reorientation this morning. We could all stand to adapt the way we think about prayer. So here's what I want to do today. Um, well, let me say, here's what I don't want to do today. I really don't want to send anybody home with a new spiritual to-do list. I really don't want people to leave here feeling guilty about something they need to do more of. You know, this week I was thinking about all the things I wish I could just do for 30 minutes a day. How much better my life would be if I could just do this thing for 30 minutes a day. You know, if I could just work out 30 minutes a day. If I could just practice Spanish for 30 minutes a day. And as I started thinking about all the things I want to do for 30 minutes a day, I realized I started to get overwhelmed. <laughs> I started to get anxious about my dreams of doing more things. I didn't even have time to think about what I wanted to be doing. I don't want prayer to be like that for you. I don't want prayer to just be another thing that you don't have time for. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to quickly look at three things today. I want us to look at the motivation for prayer. And then after we talk about what should motivate our prayer life, I want us to look at a pattern for prayer, one way that we could start praying. And then finally, I want us to look at the promise of prayer. So that's where we're going, a mot the motivation for prayer, a pattern for prayer, and then the promise of prayer. Okay, motivation. Our church strives to be prayerful. 
We even put it bigger than that. We, our church strives to be prayerfully dependent. But before we talk any more about prayer, before I get into the details of that, I really want to focus on that idea of dependency. I want us to take a minute and contemplate the value of dependence. Most of us have a hard time seeing dependence as a virtue. We live in a society where dependency kind of goes against all of our values as a society, right? We, we are about freedom and independence, aren't we? I mean, this is Boston. We got our start by telling people we don't need you anymore, right? We can do this on our own. It's at every level of our society. And it's not just, it's not just our history, right? It's, it's the, the narrative of the American life, right? That's what we, we strive to do. If, if, if things are going according to plan, then rather than sticking with your family for multiple generations and staying in one place, what, what do you do? You, you, you grow up and then you, you leave the nest, right? You go off to the big city. You make a name for yourself. If things go well, maybe you make a lot of money. And then we can achieve the real American dream, which is what? Financial independence, right? Getting to the place where we don't need to rely on anybody. That's what we want. The world tells us that. It tells us the best life, the happiest life, the freest life is the one where we don't have to be dependent. But our psalm this morning says something very different. The psalm that we read uh, gives the opposite picture. It says this in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now the psalm writer is getting at an idea that we all kind of know. This isn't news. We all get this idea. We know that we aren't really in control. Now, to some extent, we get it. We don't totally get it, but to some extent, we understand that we're not totally in control of things. I listen to a lot of podcasts. There's a bunch of podcasts like this where people come on and they talk about themselves. They tell their life story. A lot of them are the journeys of, of successful people kind of telling step-by-step how they got into their profession. And I'll say most of the ones I've heard, there, there are these moments when they're talking about their career paths where they're willing to say, well, some of the things that have happened to me, they weren't really because I made them happen. Some of the reasons for my success were due to luck. Some of the things that made me succeed were due to a coincidence, something that just kind of went my way and maybe didn't go the right way for someone else. I was listening to Seth Meyers on one of these podcasts recently. He hosts uh, Late Night, which is the one on after The Tonight Show. Um, and he was just telling about his career, and he said his big break came from being on Saturday Night Live. But the only reason he ever got onto Saturday Night Live was because he was performing in this small improv troupe, like the, the minor, minor, minor leagues of improv, and there happened to be a talent scout who saw him and said, hey, send us, some, send us a video. And that was his break. He really had nothing to do with that. I think we get that concept, right? I think we understand that we don't control everything about our lives. But it takes a lot for us to come to grips 
with just how dependent we are. It takes a lot for us to understand the kind of dependence this psalmist is talking about. And we don't usually see that when things are going our way. The place where we find out about our dependence is not typically our stories of success. It's not usually from all those moments when things happen to go our way, but the times when we see our dependence are in times of crisis, right? When things don't go our way. It's those moments of failure. Those moments when you have worked as hard as you possibly could at something and it still crumbles. It's those moments of powerlessness. When you realize something bad is coming. Something bad's going to happen, but there's nothing you can do to stop it. <laughs> no matter how hard you work, no matter how much you try to avoid it, you know that that consequence is coming. It's things like this past week. If you're a visitor here, you might not know, but someone in our congregation passed away. Uh, we had his, his memorial service just a few days ago, but he passed away in his 30s. Nobody expected it. But it's times like that, times of, of crisis, those moments that wake you up to the reality that every moment we live in, we're dependent. We can't control the world around us. We can't even guarantee that our next breath is going to come. We love independence as a society. We talk it up. We strive for it. But it's an illusion. It's not real. And we fight against dependence, don't we? We try to kick against it. That's what these verses say. It says, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. And then it goes on, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. What do we do under pressure? What's your tendency? How do you respond to a coming crisis? Something's going wrong at work? Well, put in more hours. Get up earlier. Stay later. Problems with the kids? Well, we need to come up with a plan. We need to crack down. We need to read some books. We need to figure this out. Feeling depressed? Maybe you're feeling lonely? Well, let's get some more exercise. Let's, let's sign up for online dating, you know? We are a society of doers. Our go-to response in crisis is to fix it. Our go-to response is to, to try to make things happen, try to change things for ourselves. And sometimes that works, right? Sometimes a little elbow grease is all, all you needed. Sometimes that's all it takes to make a situation smooth out, to make things go well. But eventually, it is absolutely certain that all of us will reach a moment where we have to face reality. There will be a moment when you have to realize that you're dependent. That we are all dependent creatures. Hear it again. It says, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Who can relate to that? Who feels that line? 
Who here is exhausted? Who here is anxious? Who here feels like no matter how hard they try, no matter how much they work, they just can't catch a break? Well, what this psalm is telling us is it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to live that way. There is a better way. When I talk to people and I tell them I'm a pastor, when they find out that I actually believe the stuff that the Bible says, sometimes they'll ask me, I don't understand how you can live like that. I don't get how you can live knowing that there's a God who controls all things. How can you reconcile your life knowing that that somebody else is, is controlling everything that goes on? Well, they say, isn't that just fatalistic? Isn't that kind of depressing? But listen to the last bit of this verse. It says, He gives to His beloved sleep. This is the picture of a dependent life. That is what it looks like for us to be a dependent church. It looks like, not fatalism, it looks like Not depression. It looks like a a good night's sleep after a hard day's work. You know what kind of sleep I'm talking about? That that sleep that you have after you turn in that final exam? The sleep that you have after you finish that big project at work? That sleep that isn't worried about the thing that's coming tomorrow? That sleep that's not anxious about what you have to get up and do the next day? Who doesn't want that? Who isn't motivated by that? Who here doesn't, would, would reject that kind of rest? Who, who here can, can hear the call of, of Jesus and not be stirred when he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and rest. That's the invitation of prayerful dependence. Imagine what our church would look like if we took that seriously. Imagine what our lives would look like if we took that seriously. Imagine what what this city would be like if that was the motivation behind our prayer. So, I want to talk about this more. I want to come down to earth a little bit, though. Because I want to talk about a pattern for prayer. It's kind of, I feel like I'm hitting the brakes a little bit moving this way, but I don't know how else to do it. This is a very practical thing to discuss, um, but it's one thing for us to think about the benefits theologically. It's one thing for us to imagine what it would be like to pray, but it's an entirely different thing for us to actually pray. I think it might be more difficult to pray today than it ever has been before. We live in the most distracted society that's ever been. I mean, I don't know about you, but YouTube has just shot my attention span, right? <laughs> I, I, was, I was listening to a, a comedian the other day, and he was saying that, that after watching so many YouTube videos, now when anyone's talking to him for more than five minutes, he wants to tap their nose to see how much longer they're going to go. Do you feel that way? Maybe, maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel that way right now. <laughs> um, 
In this world of constant input, being still, laying aside distractions, unplugging is hard. I was saying that, that prayer is an invitation to rest. But unplugging, disconnecting, that doesn't feel very restful to us. I know it doesn't feel very restful to me. For so many of us, when we finally do get a few spare moments, you know, the thing we go to is, is our phone, right? It's our computer screen, it's our TV. That's where we think we're going to find rest. That's how we think we're going to relax. But still to this day, no matter how many times I've tried it, no matter how many people I've talked to, I've never heard the person who sat in front of TV, who binge-watched a show on Netflix and then came away and said, man, I'm so refreshed. You know, That was exactly what I needed. So without giving you a to-do list, without laying a burden on you, I do want to challenge us to unplug. I would challenge you to try to do it today. Today is the Sabbath. We're trying to rest and worship today. Could you take five minutes and, and, and do the one thing you don't want to do? Turn off that phone and, and put it in a drawer for a minute. Sit and be quiet. Let the kids go out inside and play for a few minutes. Challenge you just to, to make the time. But then we still have another problem. If you do find the time, if you, if you carve out that 5, 10, 15 minutes, once you get there, you've got to know, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> now that I've turned off my phone, what do I do with my brain? We've been talking about dependence in our prayer. And I think for most of us, we know how to pray when we're feeling dependent. We know how to pray when we're feeling desperate, right? Those are our most common prayers. That's our natural time to cry out. Did you ever see that movie, Gravity? came out a couple years ago. I don't know if a lot of people saw it. I saw it. Um, <laughs> Sandra Bullock, she's in space, and she's stuck up there. And there's this moment when everything is falling apart, where it seems like she's surely going to die, and she has nowhere else to turn. And it's in that moment that she starts to cry out. She starts to talk to the person over the radio. She asks that person to pray for her. She starts to really, she starts to beg for help because she knows there is nothing in her that she can do. And that's usually when we know to pray. It's those moments in our life when we'll actually take the time to pray. And most of our prayers sound like that. They just sound like help. <laughs> help. I got this thing. I need you to help me. But how do we pray a dependent prayer on a daily basis. How do we pray today? All right, another practical thing. One of the most helpful things that, that I have found in my own prayer life is just to start with God's Word in our prayers. Uh, instead of just going with whatever's in my head, to take a moment and, and start with God's Word as given to us and, and pray from that. Anything works. You can pick any passage in Scripture, but I've found most helpful for me is, is reading through the Psalms. Because the Psalms are basically a book full of prayers. That's what they are. They're just a bunch of different kinds of prayers. There's, there's angry prayers, there's happy prayers, there's sad prayers, there's triumphant prayers, there's defeated prayers. Um, and, and it's a huge help for me to learn how to pray and what to pray. Uh, last year, some of us read this book on prayer together. And in the book, it recommended 
when you take one of these passages just to ask some simple questions. So imagine we're using our text today, Psalm 127. It says, pick up any passage of Scripture and ask first, what can I thank God for based on this passage? So we look at the passage and we say, well, we can thank the Lord for, for his promise of rest. We can thank the Lord for his sovereignty over all creation. We can thank him for his power. And then the next question is, what can I confess based on what I just read? Well, we can confess what? Confess our anxiety. Confess our fear. Confess our self-reliance. And then after that, the next question you ask is, how does Jesus speak into this? How has Jesus fulfilled this law for me? How has Jesus been faithful on my behalf? And once you answer that question, the final one you say is, and what can I ask for in light of this? Maybe there is some situation that's causing you anxiety that you need to pray for today. Maybe there's just a general feeling of anxiety that you want to pray the Lord would remove from you. But that's it. Simple. Four questions. What can I thank for? What can I confess? How has Jesus fulfilled it? What can I ask for? Think of that as, as kind of a warm-up. As you ask those questions, let those fill your thoughts with, with uh, thoughts of God, and then turn that stuff into prayer. That'll fill up your five minutes easy. <laughs> It'll probably fill up more than that. Now, that's not the only way to pray, but I just wanted to suggest something. I want to give you something that you can do. I, I love doing that kind of prayer because it always changes the direction of what I was going to pray. When you start with what's on God's heart, it, it often is not remotely related to what was on your own. So yesterday I was doing that and I prayed through Psalm 37. And it was a verse about God punishing wickedness. <laughs> now I was on my way to the farmer's market. <laughs> so the thing I was thinking about was getting the art supplies ready. You know, that was what I was mostly going to pray for. Um, but instead, I ended up spending time praising God for his justice and reflecting on the great promises that, that one day he will come and, and right all of these injustices that we see all over the world. I was confessing my own fretting. I was confessing my own worry. So, practical tip. Start with the Word of God. Find some time. Unplug and, and grab His Word and start there. And there's one other little practical point. If you have trouble praying, if you have trouble just putting the words together. You don't have to do it on your own. We had that New Testament reading from James. Do you, do you remember? Did you hear when Sarah read that to us? There's all kinds of encouragements to pray, but you might have noticed half of them are like praying with the elders, praying with one another, praying with the church. The expectation of our prayer life has never been that it would all be just this one-on-one, -on -one, us off alone with God. But there's a real value in praying together with the church. If you're having trouble connecting with God, if you're having trouble knowing how to pray, pray with somebody else. Some of my greatest moments in ministry have been praying with you all. Have been praying with people at different congregations. Have been seeing the ways that, that their prayers round out my own. How they speak to the things that I wasn't even considering. How they show me different aspects of God than I had seen before. So that's the practical part here. Unplug. Open the Word. Get together with other people. Prayer, it, it's not 
not hard to start. It begins with, with baby steps. And that brings us to the third point here. I want to talk about the promise behind prayer. And here's why I need to talk about this. i got to take off my coat, guys. I'm sorry. I'm done. I tried. You saw I wore it. I dressed up. Um, a lot of us know prayer is important. You didn't need to come here today for a pastor to tell you you should pray. But I know this. Most of us still won't. The church today is known for its prayerlessness. I meet with pastors all the time. I'm at conferences all the time with pastors, and it's just a guarantee that the, the prayer gathering is always the worst attended meeting at any church, if there is one. I heard this one pastor lamenting that he had canceled their prayer meeting because only two people showed up in their church of thousands. It is an assumption that people don't pray. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We talked about some of them already. Time, distraction, other things going on. But I think underneath all of that, underneath all of these outside factors and all these excuses that we have, the real reason why we don't pray is because our hearts are full of unbelief. The real reason why we don't pray is because we don't believe our prayers will be heard. We don't believe our prayers will make a difference. In a society of doers, we feel like prayer is not really doing very much. Our New Testament reading, I, I included that because it has that famous verse in it. It says, the prayers of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you know that one? Maybe you are familiar with the King James one. right? The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Have you heard that? I think we don't pray because we're not sure that includes us. <laughs> we don't pray because we know our hearts are lukewarm. Our lives are full of mess. We don't really know if we have what it takes to pray like a good Christian, you know? We don't know that we can ever truly be restful in the presence of God because we don't feel like we've earned it. That if we come before God, that there's, there's some tension there. <laughs> that there's some work we have to do before he's going to be ready to listen to us. And you know, if you, if you feel like you can't come to God because you haven't earned it, well, you're right. That line in James, that verse, reminds us that prayer only has power because of the gospel. There is no such thing as the holy man or the holy woman whose prayers have more value. There is no righteous person who deserves to have their prayers answered. Romans tells us very clearly, it says, there is no one righteous. There is not even one. We've all fallen short. There is not a single person on earth who deserves to have a single prayer answered. None of us has earned the right to be heard by God. But the good news of the gospel is that while we have not earned it, 
Jesus has, right? Scripture, the story it tells us is that the sovereign and holy and eternal God humbled himself and became a man. The one who was truly powerful, the one who was completely independent, entered into our weakness. He entered into our dependence. He took on our frailness. And he lived the life that we couldn't live. And on the cross, he received what we had earned. It tells us in the Gospels that on the cross, Jesus cried out to God and his prayers went unheard. On the cross, Jesus received God's silence so that we would be guaranteed a response. So that's our hope. Our hope is is the hope that we have through Christ, that everyone who confesses their sin and looks to Christ for salvation will be made righteous before God. That's the promise we have, that, that we come before God as righteous men and women. And the promise that James gives us is that the prayers of a righteous person has great power. Folks, I want to share that with you this morning. The prayers of those who have been made righteous have great power. I want to share that with you this morning because we are dependent people. And if we're ever going to find rest, (laughs) we need to go to the source. Just think about this, this church right here. Our task in this neighborhood is too big. If you look at the statistics, the odds are against us, right? There are too few Christians here who are, are, are disinterested. Uh, there are too few Christians here interested in this church, and the rest of the community is not interested at all. The population's too small. <laughs> the odds of us growing into a thriving church uh, are pretty slim. If we just go by the plans if we read the books, if we follow the strategies, if we polish things up, if we make everything perfect, we will still fail. No matter how hard we work to build this house, it will be in vain if we do it in our own strength. Think about your life. The struggles in your life are too big. And if you try to fix it with self-discipline, if you try to fix it with a little extra effort, if you try to clean up your act, if you do it in your own strength, you're going to fail. But if we pray, if we pray, we are promised that the Spirit of the living God is at work. If we pray, we're promised that there is power that our prayers are effective, that Jesus will show up. And in case you're worried that I'm I'm slipping into the prosperity gospel here, (laughs) in case you're worried that I'm saying if we just do more of this, then things will be great, I want to remind you the promise that's being made in this passage. Do you remember? He gives to his beloved sleep. Not fame. Not wealth. There's not a guarantee of an easy life. There's not a guarantee that things are going to go your way. 
But it says when we come to the Lord, what we receive is rest. That's my heart's desire for you. And that's my desire for our church. My desire for our church is that we would pray so much that we can rest like we have a sovereign God. That as we labor together, as we fight to build this congregation, as we fight to, for righteousness in our own lives, as we grieve our sin, as we repent, that we would be the people who can rest. Who believes that we have a God who hears our prayers. Who counts us as righteous in His sight and who will never forsake us. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for Your Word. But more than that, I'm grateful for prayer. I'm grateful that you give us the opportunity to have a conversation with you. That as you speak to us in this text, we can speak back to you. We can praise you for what you've revealed. We can confess the darkness in our own lives that this points out. And we can come to you knowing that through Christ, we have been redeemed, we have been forgiven, and we are welcome at your table. Lord, I want to pray for anybody here this morning who's wrestling with these claims. Anybody here this morning who's, whose life just feels like that description we read, going to bed late, waking up early, a life filled with anxiety and toil. And I pray, God, that you would call them to you. Lord, I pray that all of us here could confess our sins and lay them at the foot of your cross and receive the joy that comes through Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.